Take your Bibles out this morning and turn back to 1 Peter, if you would with me please. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to look at the subject matter this morning, tried but blessed. Tried but blessed. Is anybody going through a tribulation or a hardship in your life or a valley? Then this message is for you. By the way, let me, uh, let me point out one of the things that believers are asked the most in today's world. Asked the most by, by atheists, agnostics, skeptics. Uh, if God is real, then why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? That's a question probably some of you have been asked and as we're going to see this morning. It's very good biblical answers to that question. But a number of years ago on a Sunday night, we did a study on a book by Dr. Randy Alcorn entitled, If God is Good. He deals with the problem very extensively, the problem of evil and suffering uh, and all the bad things that happen in the world. So I would encourage you to get that book if that is a question that you have been called upon to deal with in, in the lives of maybe some of your friends or co-workers. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? First Peter chapter 1, and let's back up to verse 3. We're going to concentrate this morning on verses 6 and 7 and following, but I want us to go back to verse 3. Folks, I want you to see something in the development of this text. This whole unit of thought from verse 3 down through verse 12 Peter begins up on the mountaintop and then he descends into the valley and then the passage ends back up on the mountaintop. It's important that we see that flow. In verse 3 he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news uh, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Lord, I pray this morning that you would open our understanding to your word. 
Help us to receive it in faith with hunger. I think of what Jesus said in the book of Revelation to the churches. He said, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. God, it is my prayer that this morning that we would hear your word and that it would be life-changing for some. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Back in the 19th century, people were having difficulty shipping fresh North Atlantic cod from Boston all the way around to San Francisco. At the time, the only way to ship the fresh to the, uh, the fish to the west coast was to sail around the tip of South America. It was a trip, obviously, that took, in some cases, months and months. Well, as you can imagine, the first attempts to, to dress the cod in Boston and pack them in ice did not turn out so well. By the time they reached California, they were no longer fresh. In many cases, they were spoiled. Next, the cod were placed in holding tanks full of water and shipped to California Live, where they could be dressed and sold there. However, that proved to be even worse. The fish did not get any exercise during the trip, and as a result, they were tasteless and pasty. Finally, somebody hit upon an interesting idea. Why don't we put some catfish in with the live cod and ship them together? You see, cod and catfish are natural enemies and they fight. Well, sure enough, this time the cod tasted fresh just like they should. You see, they were constantly on the alert and constantly swimming around and fighting with their enemy. Now, folks, what is true of fish, the Bible says is also true of believers. As we go through hardships in the world, we stay alert. Hardships keep us on our knees before God in dependence. And we seek after God and we stay active and alert. Nobody in here likes hardship. Nobody likes any kind of trial or tribulation that's going to knock us out of our comfort zone. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would have to admit that it's been those times in our lives when we've gone through some kind of valley that we have grown the most. We come out the other side better. We don't want to go through that again, but we're glad we went through it that first time. That's a theme that surfaces over and over again in the Bible. In the Old Testament, for example, Joseph told his brothers, What you meant for evil, God worked for good. I want, I want to remind you this morning that Simon Peter is writing to believers who are suffering. 
In many cases, they've been driven out of their homelands. They've lost family members and they've lost their business because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And they've gotten in a foreign country. They're in Asia Minor. And in Asia Minor, they're the minority there. And all the culture around them believes in different gods. The gods of the Greeks and the Romans. And obviously believers didn't. They held the one God, Jesus Christ. And because of that, they were persecuted and opposed. Peter wants them to know that God has saved them for a glorious inheritance that's waiting for them. And despite the fact that they're being opposed, they are to live as strangers and aliens in this world because this world is not their home. They're not to love this world. They need to be a good witness in this world, but they're not to love this world. This world will hate us. This world will persecute us. But God has left us here for a reason. We are to live out our faith before the eyes of the unbelieving world, and we are to be a testimony so that others might be won to faith in Christ as well. Well, what we see in our verses this morning is that God will use hardship in our lives to make us more like Christ and to make our heavenly inheritance all the more appreciated and special. First thing I want you to note with me this morning is the reality of trials in a Christian's life. The reality of trials in a Christian's life. In verse 6, Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, in this you rejoice. Now I am of the opinion that what Peter is doing is dropping all the way back in the text to what he started saying in verse He started writing some great things in verse 3. He taught about God causing us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He taught about that inheritance that God has waiting for us. And he taught about God guarding the believer until he receives his heavenly inheritance. And so I think Peter is reaching back and he's grabbing a hold of all of that. He's saying, in all of this you rejoice. But then he goes from rejoicing to being very realistic about the here and now. In the here and now, Christians face trials. It's not what everyone expects. Some people get saved. I know this because they've mentioned this later, how it threw them a curve. They get saved and they thought that by getting saved and coming to faith in Jesus Christ, all of their problems in life were somehow or another going to be taken care of. And all their problems weren't taken care of. Not only were all their problems not immediately taken care of, but they may have new problems now because they're believers. And some folks are upset by that. 
But folks, the fact of the matter is Christians suffer. Just read the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, where it gives that roll call of faith of all those Old Testament saints and everything that they had to go through in the world. And the writer says this world was not worthy of them. But they had to suffer. I emphasize this because it is a tremendous mistake in our evangelism if we ever give someone the impression that if they'll only come to faith in Christ, their problems will be erased. Folks, the difference the, difference the Christian has is not the absence of trials, but the presence of the good shepherd to help us make it through those trials. Now, at the risk of being a little bit repetitive for church members who may have been here five or ten years, I think I'd like to take a moment and drop back a few years back and remind you of a sermon we went through based on Psalm 73. You remember that sermon, right? You remember every point, just like it was yesterday. You know, it's kind of like Paul said to one church, for me to say the same thing to you again, it's not a burden to me and it's safe for you. That sermon in Psalm 73, if you remember, the psalmist was about to give up on his faith because he looked around the world and he saw believers suffering and going through hardships and trials and it seemed like the people in the world were not going through some of the hardships that believers were and he said my foot almost slipped that is I almost lost my faith he said until I went into the house of the Lord and I saw their end And the difference that will ultimately occur between believers and unbelievers. And he said, my faith was restored. But again, why do we suffer now? You see, there's a triangle that people talk about. On one one part of the triangle, one point is the thought that God is all-powerful. And He is. And another point in the triangle says that God is all-loving. And He is. But the third point in the triangle is that evil exists. And people have said, whoa, wait a minute. God's all-powerful. God's all-loving. Evil exists. Any two points in that triangle seem to coexist. But how do we make all three coexist? I mean, maybe God is all-powerful but He doesn't care about us and so He lets evil happen. Or maybe He's all-loving and he cares about us but he's impotent he's not all powerful and so he can't do anything about it so how do all three points coexist well the Bible points out to us that in the biblical worldview, those three points fit better than, than in other worldviews. the Bible has solid answers to explain all three Some of the reasons for evil and suffering are obvious and you would expect me to mention them because they're true. 
You would expect me to say sin, and I'm going to say sin. In fact, I'm going to give you seven reasons why evil and suffering exist, why we go through trials and tribulations just like the people whom Peter is writing here. First of all, there's sin, and we're going to break that out into three. Personal sin, the sin of others, and cosmic sin. That is, we live in a fallen world. But first of all, sometimes we suffer because of our own disobedience and transgressions to God's laws. Now folks, I realize we live in a day and age where nobody likes to take responsibility for anything. It's always somebody else's fault. But for Christians, we've got to be honest enough before God to realize that oftentimes we go through trial and tribulation because of our own choices of disobedience. We sin against the holy God. And we face the consequences of that sin. Second reason for evil and suffering and hardship is the sin of others. You may have a child or a grandchild, for instance, gets hit head on by a drunk driver. You suffer because of the sinful decision of somebody else. I'll never forget when I was a little boy. It was about 42 years ago. Our next door neighbor, their son, was 20 years old. His name was Dave. He had a 19-year-old girlfriend named Marie. And Dave's family loved a sailboat. They would go around all over the southeast in her sailboat races. They had a catamaran sailboat. Dave and Marie had been uh, somewhere else in North Carolina that day and they were in a sailboat race and a rudder had gone bad. They had to drop out. Dave drove a little bright orange Volkswagen Beetle. Not a new Beetle. Obviously one of those like back in the 60's or 70's. Believe it or not they pulled the sailboat with that little Beetle. (laughs) One night Dave and Marie are coming into Charlotte on the old Highway 16 when it was still two lanes like from the Newton area and back into Charlotte. And two guys were leaving Charlotte in their souped-up hot rods. And a nurse who later came upon the scene of the accident, she said when they passed her, they had to be running well over 100 miles an hour. But the guy in the the Mach 1 Mustang decided he was going to go for the win. He was going to beat his buddy. So he passed him on the two-lane road in in a blind curve where he was going to be in the oncoming lane. And as he's in that, in that oncoming lane going around the curve, he meets Dave and Marie head on, kills both of them instantly. It was Saturday night, close to midnight. The next day was Father's Day. That family suffered because of... The sinful choice of those young men racing. So there's your sin. There's the sin of others. A third reason we suffer is because we live in a fallen world. All you've got to do is read Genesis 3 to understand this. When Adam and Eve sinned, it had consequences for all of creation. God told Adam that the earth would not yield its fruit for him as before. That he would have to work by the sweat of his brow. And there were going to be thorns and weeds. And his labor was now going to be difficult instead of joyful. And Eve would experience great pain in childbirth. And so sin entered into the very cosmic order. 
Romans 8 speaks of this as well. In Romans 8.20, we read that the creation was subjected to futility and that creation itself is longing for the day of redemption. Remember, folks, in Genesis 1, God created a world that was perfectly good, but since the fall, we have a world where hurricanes happen, floods happen, Tornadoes happen. On and on we go. We live in a fallen world. We are fallen men and women who live in a fallen world. Now it's important to point out here that redemption through Christ is also going to take care of a fallen world. Redemption through Christ doesn't just redeem men and women, but the whole planet is going to experience a redemption also. Peter writes about that in 2 Peter 3. That, we're, that this, this earth in heavens is going to be burned up and we're looking for that new heaven and, and earth in which righteousness dwells. And John writes of that renewed earth in Revelation 21 where God says he's making all things new and there's not going to be any death. There's not going to be any sickness. There's not going to be any pain. And we're going to be in God's midst and he's going to dwell with us. So not only us, but everything is included in redemption. But for now, we live in a fallen world where bad things happen. So there's this personal sin, the sin of others, cosmic sin. Fourthly, there is Satan. Whether men and women want to admit it or not, we have an enemy. The Bible says Satan is roaming about in this earth going to and fro seeking somebody to devour. And he's not alone because the Bible says he has a whole host of fallen angels known as the demons. You may be suffering because of satanic or demonic attack. We meet people on the pages of the Gospels who were suffering because of this very reason. The Bible says the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. The world can make fun of the devil and draw little funny cartoons about the devil. But folks, the Bible never underestimates his power to do evil and bring suffering. Now let me say that we do not believe in dualism. Dualism says there are two equal powers that rule the universe. God and the devil. And they're fighting it out. And we're caught in the middle. And nobody really knows how this whole thing is going to turn out. That's not correct at all. There is only one sovereign God. And we need to remember even the devil himself is just a created being. He's a fallen angel. And what he does, we see in the book of Job, that what the devil does, he can only do as God allows him to. The Bible says that God's one day going to cast the devil into the lake of fire when God makes all things new. And the devil will no longer be a factor in causing evil and suffering and trials and hardship. So personal sin, the sin of others, cosmic sin, Satan. A fifth reason for suffering is saintliness. Saintliness. 
The Bible points out that in the lives of believers, God himself may bring difficulty into your life. He may bring trial and tribulation in your life to grow you, to conform you to the image of Christ. And sometimes hardship is the instrument in God's hand that God uses. James 1 verses 2 through 4 speaks of that. That God uses trials and hardships and suffering to mature us. To build endurance and fortitude and patience and character in us. There may be some character flaw in your life that God uses some kind of trial in your life to sand that character flaw down to make you more like His Son. Peter talks about the same thing here. That like gold that goes through fire, we might come out the other side more purified. James points out if God has you in the midst of some kind of suffering or trial, James 1.5 says you need to seek wisdom from God. If God's got you in that, seek wisdom from God so you'll know the right course to chart. And God will give you wisdom. A sixth reason for trials and suffering is that we, might re- that we might learn and rely upon the sufficiency of God. God may not give you a reason this side of heaven while, why you are experiencing the suffering that you are. Remember that the Apostle Paul went before God three times and asked God to remove his thorn in the flesh. And folks, the Greek word that Paul uses for the thorn in the flesh refers to a spike. Whatever it was was very significant. It wasn't some little splinter. It was a spike. It was something that deeply troubled Paul. Scholars wonder what it was. I have my guess, but it's only a guess. I think Paul suffered from malaria. Southern Asia Minor, where his first missionary journey was, those coastal towns were known for malaria. They didn't have the cures back then they have now. And so you'd get over it, you'd go back into it. You'd get over it, you'd go. It would cycle and and malaria back then could cause you problems with your eyesight. And it seems like there's indications in Scripture that Paul had some difficulty with his eyesight. So that's just a guess on my part. But ultimately, we don't know what it was in Paul's life. But again it was a spike something big why did he have this why did God allow this in the apostles life well Paul explains he says he was given that thorn in the flesh so that he would not be overly lifted up and exalted Paul had been carried up to the third heaven. You remember he talks about that in 2 Corinthians. When did that happen? It, it might be what he's referring to might be when he was stoned to death in Lystra. He was dead and God raised him up. Again, just a guess, we're not told. But, but Paul says uh, he saw things in heaven that he was not even allowed to write about. Now, boy, that's different from people today who want to write all these books about seeing visions going to heaven and all. Paul saw heaven. He went there. And he says God 
did not even allow me to write about it. But a thorn was given to him in the flesh, lest he be lifted up so that he would be nailed back to the earth and to God's side and to dependency upon God. And God wouldn't remove it. Three times, or repeatedly, Three times Paul said, remove it. And God said no. And finally, what did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. You're going to have to live with this. And through living with this trial or tribulation or this illness, whatever it was that Paul had, he was going to be taught humility and dependency upon God. God had a purpose in it. A seventh reason for sin and suffering. We find in John 9, there's a man in John 9 who was born blind. And everybody was asking Jesus, why was this guy born blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin? Somebody sinned and so he's blind. And Jesus said, no, this is not a, a blindness due to sin at all. But this is for the glory of God. Jesus was going to heal him and, and the Lord was going to get all the glory out of it. God may allow some hardship in your life. That through that hardship in ways that you may not even see right now... He is going to bring greater glory to His name through your hardship. So seven reasons why we suffer. Personal sin, sin of others, cosmic sin, sin in the fallen order, Satan, saintliness, the sufficiency of God's grace, and for the glory of God. And folks, think about what Peter is saying. He's writing to people who live in a fallen world and they are going through suffering. Don't ever give anybody the impression that Christians are spared from the troubles that other people face. And Peter says specifically that God is using these trials in their lives to purify them and to mature them and grow them so that at the revelation of Jesus Christ, when Christ returns, there will be more praise and glory and honor given to Jesus Christ. So first point, the reality of trials in a Christian's life. Secondly, this morning, I want you to see the privilege and promise of victory in the Christian's life. Pick up reading again in verse 8. In verse 8, he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. 
I want you to see the beauty of something to this whole passage. When you read it as a complete unit from verse 3 all the way down through verse 12, Peter begins in glory and he ends in glory. Wonderful bookends to this passage. We go from the Christian salvation, understanding that you were elect in eternity past, all the way down to eternity future when you receive this salvation that has been promised to you. It's been guarded for you and you've been guarded for it. And what is so wonderful about this, notice what he said. It's like he's saying both the prophets and the angels are standing on tiptoes to try to look into this and understand it all. Wow. Verses 10 through 11 point out that the Holy Spirit guided the prophets as they wrote. As the Holy Spirit guided them and inspired them, they tried to see. The Holy Spirit revealed to them about to write about the Messiah and His sufferings. But the prophets weren't omniscient. They didn't know the time or the place of it all. They were given bits and pieces. Folks, we read all of their writings to get today together. We have all the pieces. But we need to remember each one of them did not have all the pieces. Some of them lived hundreds of years apart from one another. And God might reveal one piece of his revelation to one prophet and something else to another prophet. They, they, they saw all as, as in a mirror darkly we might say you and I have all the pieces that fit together concerning the first advent of Christ because we look back they looked forward revelation in the Bible is progressive theologians speak of it as being progressive Little by little, as we pick up our Bibles, begin reading in the book of Genesis and reading on, we see pieces coming together. We see new characters being introduced into the plot. Little by little, we see all this. But God sees the whole plot. Don't miss what Peter is saying. His readers and you and I live where we do in history and God's Messiah has been revealed. We've witnessed the first advent. He's come, he's died, he was buried, he rose again. They wrote about, in the, uh, they were wondering when the fullness of time was going to be. You and I know when the fullness of time was. It was somewhere around 4 B.C. Jesus was incarnate. He was, the, the word tabernacled, became flesh and tabernacled among us. He was born in Bethlehem in that manger somewhere around 4 B.C. So we know when he arrived. Again, in the Old Testament, all that was yet future. So do you see what Peter is implying through all this? It's the same thing Jesus said in Matthew 13. He said, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You have the privilege of seeing and hearing and knowing. 
Think of the greater accountability. And what's shocking here, folks, is, is not only were the Old Testament prophets as they were writing and being given, the, not only was it as though they were standing on tiptoes trying to look forward and, and see how it was all going to come together. Peter says here at the end of this passage, even the angels long to look into all these things. The angels aren't omniscient. And they don't know what it is to be saved by grace. Those angels who were with God and did not fall. No hope, of course, for the fallen angels. But angels with God, they don't understand by experience at least this whole thing about redemption through Jesus Christ. They long to look into all of this. Peter is saying, yes, you suffer now. Yes, you go through trials now. But he's saying, church, you need to understand where you stand in this whole redemption story. You're privileged. And the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. No wonder the writer of Hebrews said, What shall become of us if we neglect so great a salvation? If in the Old Testament, God brought judgment on those who neglected salvation, now that we're part of the new covenant and all of this has been revealed, how much greater will our accountability be because we have greater privilege? Think about that. It's like he's saying to his readers, gain a little bit of perspective, if you will. Yes, you're going through suffering. Yes, you're going through trials. But don't wallow in self-pity. Don't give up in the midst of suffering. Christians need to try to see the big picture of what God is doing. And we need to rejoice because we're the recipients not only of privilege but of great promise when we're with the Lord in glory one day. Folks, God is purposeful in everything He does. If you're suffering now, it's so that you might be strengthened. God is only getting you ready for what lies ahead in store for you. When you understand this passage, how it begins in in eternity past, you were saved. And you've got this inheritance laid up for you. And then in eternity future, you're going to be with the Lord. Yes, there's that valley now because we live in a fallen world. But don't get your feet stuck in the mud in a fallen world and lose your focus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I think a perfect commentary on this passage here is Romans chapter 8, verse 18, where Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Isn't that beautiful? The suffering in this present time 
cannot even begin to compare. You say, but preacher, it's tough what I'm going through. Yes, it might be tough. But the Bible says it doesn't even begin to compare with the glory that God has waiting for you. Hang in there. Don't give up. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Be salt and light in this evil age. And be a witness for Christ. And whatever you receive in your life that's tough, take it as something that God can use to grow you and help you. Yes, you and I are tried, but we're not just tried. We are blessed. Tried and blessed. Would you bow your heads with me this morning, please? Are you suffering this morning? Are you going through a trial? As somebody once wisely said, don't waste a good trial. What's God trying to teach you? God might be trying to do something with your character. Again, a character flaw that God sees in you or me. And He's using that trial to soften it, to sand it down, to sharpen it, whatever. Maybe God's building fortitude and endurance and patience in you through that trial. I want you to see that if we believe in the sovereignty of God, then we have to understand there is a bigger purpose. Romans 8.28 says that He causes all things to work together for the good of those who love Him. All things. He might be squeezing you like clay, but He's squeezing you and mashing you in order to form something better in you that you don't see. Surrender to Him. Ask Him for wisdom to make it through. Pray about the kind of testimony that you can be to somebody else through that trial. You might be teaching your child or your grandchild a life lesson on hardship. Finally, this morning, be more grateful for where you stand in God's story of redemption. Through the pages of Scripture, you've been allowed to see things that the prophets longed to see. What are you doing today with what God has allowed you to see? Don't waste your life. You're privileged, but you're also accountable. Father, I pray for your people. I know some of them are going through hardships. I've talked to them. They've told me. Some of them seem to be going from trial to trial. And they don't understand why. Lord, help them to keep their focus. And to realize that they go from glory to glory and everything in between. God is using to conform them to the image of Christ.
Give them strength. Let them sense your presence and your love. Lord, there's not a doubt in my mind that I'm speaking to somebody in here this morning who doesn't know Christ. And so they're going through trial and tribulation all alone. Help them to see that they don't have to. Draw them to Christ. You'll be their good shepherd too. And they'll have you to lean upon. To pray to. To love and to be loved. Draw them to faith in Jesus. Lord, thank you for your ultimate plans for your people. Plans for good and not for evil. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.